is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. I'm Tabish Mai. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. Glad to have you tuned in. And this hour, we thank once again Anthony Sparks and Sherry Belafonte uh, for that conversation about the strike. Uh, The Writers Guild and the SAG After Union uh, both out together for the first time in over 60 years. Uh, Again, I don't think this thing is going to end anytime soon. Uh, But I thank them for their insights at this moment, and we'll check back in with both of them as we move through the process of trying to resolve this strike that has now effectively shut down Hollywood. Now that the actors are on strike and the writers are on strike, we shall see how this unfolds. Uh, Now, though, a conversation um, about the following. In his best-selling book, The Color of Law, Richard Rothstein demolished the de facto segregation myth that black and white Americans live separately by choice providing what uh, many call the most forceful argument ever published on how federal, state, and local governments uh, gave rise to the reinforced neighborhood segregation uh, issue. Uh, While that explained, uh, while he explained, I should say, in that book, how our segregated and unequal society was created by racially explicit and unconstitutional policies at all levels of government, uh, many readers asked when that book came out, okay, what do we do about it? Uh, to answer, he recruited his daughter, Leah Rothstein, to co-author the new book, Just Action, How to Challenge Segregation Enacted Under the Color of Law. Uh, the book uh, uh, is just out, uh, and I'm uh, delighted to, uh, to welcome Leah Rothstein on this program. I've had her father on for conversations in the past, uh, but she has co-authored this text with her father, and I'm pleased to have Leah on this time around. Leah, good to have you on. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you on. Let me go right at that question to make the most of the few minutes that we have here. Uh, what can we do about it now? That is the question. As I established moments ago, um, your father's work was was brilliant uh, and game-changing in, again, establishing that this notion that black folk and white folk live separately just by chance uh, was a lie. And he, again, laid out in detail how, again, federal, state, and local governments, um, you know, gave rise to this segregation in neighborhoods all across the country. Uh, but that question remains uh, in 2023. What can we do about it now? And in some ways, uh, I see resegregation in certain housing patterns. But what say you? Well, uh, you're right. So as the color of law stated in explicit detail, it was government policy that created segregation all over the country, ensuring that whites and blacks don't live in the same neighborhoods, and basically setting up the, the reality that we live in, that communities now resegregate. Um, and the de facto segregation idea that we had come to accept as a country where, you know, segregation happened by accident or by personal choice, it sort of left us with nothing to do about it. You know, something that happened by accident can only unhappen by accident. Mm-hmm. But what the color of law helped us open our eyes to and reckon with the real history of our country, that it was explicit, intentional, unconstitutional government policy that created segregation. And it helps us realize that if, if intentional policy created it, intentional action can begin to undo it. So what we do in Just Action is attempt to help people understand all of the many levers that we have as residents of our own communities to affect local policy that can begin to challenge and remedy segregation and its consequences. So while federal policy was one of the main drivers of creating segregation, Mm -hmm. once that was in place, it's a lot of local policy that continues to maintain and perpetuate it. So there's a lot we can do on the local level to begin to challenge segregation and just action gives 
dozens of examples of those policies and strategies we can take on. Um, I, obviously, there's a whole book about this, but let me ask you the top line, some of this for me. So I, use, uh, I love your phrase of a moment ago, intentional action. Uh, if intentional action caused this, then intentional action can undo it. Um, my, I guess my first question, is it really that simple? Uh, when you consider what you've laid out earlier and what your father laid out, that at every level of government, this was done by design. Uh, and it's not often easy to undo what's already been done. We were just talking on this program, I think, last week uh, about uh, so many laws and statutes that are still on the books from the slavery era. And we are having a, a, a deep conversation about a number of uh, recent court decisions where the judges in those decisions literally relied on slavery era law to advance these outrageous decisions in 2023 that they wanted to, to, to bring forth from the bench. So they're going back to slavery era law, uh, again, to argue uh, and to enforce uh, the, uh, the laws that they want uh, enforced. So, again, it's easy to put it out there, not so easy to undo. So tell me how it is that our intentional action now can undo what's already on the books vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the law. Sure. Well, it's not, uh, we're not pretending that it's going to be easy. <laughs> Advances in civil rights are rarely easy, but they're not impossible. Right. And in just action, you know, we give all of these examples of policies and strategies. And with each one, we give an example of a community somewhere in the country that's successfully implementing it. Mm -hmm. And I would say that a lot of these policies, you know, that created segregation, they're no longer, some of them no longer on the books. We now have the Fair Housing Act that says it's, um, you know, illegal to to discriminate in the sale and rental of housing. Um, so we have laws on the books that, you know, purportedly uh, challenge segregation or help us to uh, not continue to create segregation. But there's also a lot of laws on the books that are race neutral in their um, intent. You know, they don't have a racially explicit impact but they have or a racially explicit intention, but they have a racially uh, discriminatory impact. And so it's up to us to find those policies and point out that impact and make sure that those policies and strategies are challenged. So one example of that is the credit scoring system. So the credit scoring system is supposed to be an objective rating of your future likelihood of p repaying a debt. If you have a high credit score, you can get a mortgage. And if you don't, you can't. Mm -hmm. Now, that credit score, your credit score is supposed to be based on your financial history, um, which, you know, it is based on your financial history, but it's only based on a t certain type of financial history, and it's a type that whites are far more likely to have than African Americans. Um, one of the reasons is because African American communities of all income levels have fewer bank branches than white communities. Um, so they rely on non-traditional financial institutions, and th that kind of financial history is not reflected in a credit score. Similarly, if you haven't owned a home in the past, but you've been a renter and never missed a rent payment, that good financial history also isn't reflected in your credit score. So this, the credit scoring system is a race-neutral system mm -hmm. on its face, but it has this racially disparate impact, and it really limits the ability of African Americans to get mortgages and buy homes. So, you know, while it's a federal, it's a national sort of program, the credit scoring agencies, we can work with our local banks, financial institutions, credit unions, to start to adjust their own credit scoring algorithms to take account of rental payment history, for example, and that goes a long way in opening up home ownership opportunities for African Americans. So that's an example of something we can do locally to change policy that 
that might not on its face look like it's having the impact that we know it's having on our communities. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you, um, given the point you've just made now, Leah, what is uh, primarily driving the resegregation that we are seeing in communities across the country right now in 2023? What's driving that resegregation? Well, often, uh, I don't know if you're referring only to gentrifying communities, but that is often a result of gentrification. So sure. the lower income, usually segregated African-American community that is uh, you know, deprived of resources and investment. Once investment starts to come into those communities, people with higher income follow. They then price out the longtime residents um, and then and displace them. So the community becomes resegregated as a higher income, usually white community. Um, and just as those communities become places of higher opportunity of more investment and resources, the longtime residents who live there as they've been under resourced for decades are priced out just when they become mm-hmm. sort of higher opportunity areas. So we argue in Just Action that we need to, um, we should be concerned with increasing investments in those communities. The the underinvestment of those segregated black communities is a consequence of segregation, and we should address that and redress it and remedy that um, harm. But those uh, reinvestment, those um, adding resources into those communities, they need to be coupled with strategies that prevent some displacement that occurs when that happens to ensure that not all of the residents are displaced just as they become, you know, places of higher opportunity. So that includes strategies like rent regulation, so protecting renters from rapidly increasing rents or mm-hmm. from unjust evictions, providing tenants with a right to legal counsel if they're facing an eviction, or passing a local inclusionary zoning ordinance, which requires that when new market rate housing is built, which, which often happens in a gentrifying area, that a certain percent of of the units have to be reserved as affordable to lower and moderate income households. So it's essential that we do both of those things, invest in these communities and also ensure that um, we can prevent some displacement from occurring when that happens. We're talking with Leah Rothstein uh, about how to challenge segregation enacted under the color of law. Her new book with her father, Richard Rothstein, is entitled Just Action. We'll continue this conversation uh, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Leah, let me ask you a point-blank question here. We were talking earlier about gentrification. Uh, you were talking about that. What, what, what is, in, in this present moment, what is our indictment, uh, to the extent we have one, what is our indictment of, uh, of gentrification? And I'll come in a moment to this notion of uh, investing in these, uh, in these communities that have been uh, under-invested in for so long. But let me start with that. What's, what's your indictment to the extent you have one of, in, of a gentrification in 2023? Well, we um, we think that Gentrification is somewhat inevitable if we increase investments in these underinvested communities. And that the fact that gentrification will occur shouldn't stop us from investing in communities that have been underinvested in for decades and, you know, in a discriminatory fashion. Mm-hmm. The fact that gentrification will occur shouldn't, shouldn't stop us from living up to our obligation to redress the harms of the segregation and underinvestment of those communities. Now, when, when gentrification occurs, there's some things we can do that can mitigate many of its worst effects. And some of those I talked about, about um, protecting uh, residents of those mm-hmm. communities from displacement. And so that's an essential part of what we need to do as gentrification occurs. And we don't think that we can actually prevent all of it. We can't prevent gentrification from happening while also increasing investments in these communities. So mm-hmm. um, we sort of take a sober look at it and 
and advocate for these anti-displacement efforts to counter some of the gentrification that occurs. Yeah, in, in, uh, uh, displacement. Yeah, in in this present moment, um, for communities that have uh, been ignored for so long and have been uh, on the underinvestment list, as it were, perennially, what's what's the best argument in 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 this moment? for convincing uh, municipalities all across the country uh, to now invest in those places, in those spaces? What's the best argument for that? Well, I think for all of the the strategies that we put forward and our main argument about us, it's time for us as a country to live up to our obligation to address the segregation that has occurred on behalf of government policy or because of government policy. Mm -hmm. You know, the government took unconstitutional actions to create segregation and so when our government does that, it's our obligation to remedy it and to, to do something about it, to remedy the harms that the government caused. And the underinvestment of these communities is a direct cause, it's a consequence of segregation. So when we talk about the government actions that created racial segregation, we're not just talking about the separation, like a benign separation of people where white people live in one community and African Americans in another, but otherwise the communities are the same. As our country became segregated, those uh, communities where African Americans were, you know, limited to living in, then became areas of higher concentrations of poverty, closer to more polluting industries, closer to freeways with, you know, polluting cars and trucks. Uh, the schools were had fewer resources than schools in, in affluent white communities. So the the segregation of people came along with the segregation of resources. So if we're going to live up to our obligation to redress um, the consequences of segregation, part of that includes making these um, communities that have been underinvested in places of higher investment and more opportunity. Our remaining moments with Leah Rostin when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. Got just a few minutes left in this conversation with Leah Rothstein, who is the co-author of the new book, Just Action, How to Challenge Segregation Enacted Under the Color of Law. This weekend, Leah, here in Lamert Park uh, in uh, Los Angeles, we had a big celebration of Black Lives Matter's 10th anniversary, uh, a great day here uh, in uh, in Lamert Park. Uh, and it occurs to me that um, because of their work and witness over this last decade, uh, they have forced uh, banks and real estate agencies and developers and other institutions to apologize for their actions. Certainly after the murder of George Floyd, uh, a lot of these institutions were apologizing and saying what they were going to do uh, and how they were going to do better uh, in the coming uh, months and years. Some of those pledges are real. Most of them, I think, have been hollow uh, and not a whole lot has been done. But the question I'm, I'm driving toward is how do you make these institutions like banks and real estate agencies and developers and other institutions um, do their part uh, to uh, uh, to to uh, turn the tide against the segregation uh, that we've had in this country and against the resegregation that's happening even as we speak. Yeah, it's the same way that we get our government, our local governments, to do their part, and that is we join together with our neighbors and uh, other residents of our communities. We form biracial, multi-ethnic groups where we discuss these issues and we learn about how our communities came to be segregated, and then we start to work to challenge the policies that maintain and perpetuate that segregation. That includes public policies on the government level, and that includes holding these private institutions real estate agencies, banks, uh, financial institutions, 
holding them up to their obligation to do something about it, like they all said they were going to do in 2020 after George Floyd's murder. And, you know, the only way we're going to actually create the change we want to see in our local communities is for us to be active and involved members of our of our neighborhoods and our communities and taking action to uh, hold all of these institutions and agencies accountable. Yep. Uh, finally, here uh, is the exit question. When, when communities of color are put upon the ways that they have been, uh, you know, perennially, uh, and certainly in this moment, um, there's always fight back. Um, there's always uh, there's always a fight back, and that's why I love books like yours, Just Action. It it it, it reminds us uh, that the fight back is real. It reminds us, uh, as we say around here, when we fight, we win. It reminds us that the struggle continues, but there are people on the front lines who are in fact pushing back. So I, I close by asking right quick, who's leading the fight in this arena? Well, we we describe, as I said, dozens of policies and strategies to redress segregation, just like there were many, many pieces of the puzzle that went into creating and maintaining segregation. It takes, you know, taking apart that puzzle piece by piece. So I wouldn't say there's one community that's done it all yet, mm-hmm. but there are communities all over the country that are tackling one piece at a time, and we talk about a lot of them. Um, in the book and more that, you know, there's more that we couldn't cover. We're continuing to write about on Substack. But um, so there's a lot happening all over the country. I've been traveling all over the country talking about this book and mm-hmm. um, both writing and researching the book and talking about it has left me with a lot of hope that there's a lot of movement, energy, inspiration, activism around these issues in communities all across the country. So I, while I can't give one that's doing it all, yep. there's many that's doing something. Yep. And there's more, more of us need to be doing something. So yep. that's what we hope to inspire. It, it is abundantly clear after uh, all the research and all the work done by her father, Richard Rothstein, that, uh, uh, that housing segregation in this country did not happen uh, magically. Uh, it didn't happen uh, <laughs> by, by, by chance. Uh, it was done by choice. It was done deliberately and intentionally uh, and now, once again, you see resegregation in communities across this country. And so the question is, what do we do about it? The answer to that question is um, is in the book, Just Action, How to Challenge Segregation and Acted Under the Color of Law. The co-authors of that book are Richard Rothstein and Leah Rothstein. Leah, good to have you on. Give my best to your father. All the best to you. I will. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. More of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.